About three months ago, I suggested to the programme controller that I could produce a programme. I wanted to cheer him up, because he usually looks so melancholy at this time of year. Well, what did he require? About half an hour long, was the information he gave me. At the time, it seemed like a good idea. Well, suddenly, here we are. It's like saying, yes, I'll be down on the beach for the New Year's dip, or of course I'll do a parachute jump. The first time I did leave a perfectly serviceable aircraft, I remember thinking, I don't think I'm alone in the... What the... Am I doing this for? That's just enough time before the chute actually opens when you're on a static line. Putting that to one side, I've been fortunate enough to have been in a job for four decades, which was custom-made for a curious person. I don't necessarily mean I'm a strange person, though my family are possibly nodding their heads, but I have always enjoyed trying to find out about words, about ideas, places, events. That's why I do love the Internet. Uh, Not because of Twitter and Facebook. I don't subscribe to Facebook after I sent something which I didn't mean to and it landed up on Facebook, Uh, but also because I'm not really that interested in what people have been eating or which exotic resort they're lounging about in. Yes, I love the internet because of being able to find out about things. Ah, some may say he obviously believes everything he reads there. No, no, of course not. Well, not all the time. Radio news deals, of course, with solid fact. It's only occasionally I've been able to wander off the straight and narrow. Years ago, when I presented Mandate early in the morning, I used to enjoy having a a few words with Chris Williams before the programme started. It was meant to give people the heads up. Where does heads up come from? According to the internet, some think it's from a display screen a pilot looks at, which required raising the head. Hmm. Anyway, my chats with Chris quite frequently wandered off the beaten path. Johnny Hayes Jazz, Shattered Dreams, The Coral, Pass It On. 7.15 on the island's number one. This is Breakfast with Chris, yes. and joining me is John Mosk. Good morning, uh, John. Yeah, I'm quite excited this morning. Are you? Why? managed to get an exclusive. What, have you? Yeah, we have got an exclusive. Yes. Uh, I managed to uh, sneak in to uh, the hospital last night, and we have a first interview wow. with the, the royal child. Okay, let's play uh, he's we? coming. He's coming. Uh, we brought him in, actually. Okay. I hope they don't notice. No. Anyway, here he is. No, here right. he is. Uh, now, now, excuse me, uh, Your Royal Highness. So, uh, what do you think of all the attention? Right. Uh, what would you like to be called? Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Look at that. That's, that's, oh, no. I think that's what you call a royal weed. Yes. It's my thanks to Chris Williams, who has the ability to rise when the rest of us are still asleep and uh, still sound not only witty and entertaining, but that he actually wants to be there. For some of us, working in radio has been a way of life for many, many many years. The advantage to people you work for is that you can recall other people and events, and importantly, their significance. But over the decades, certain topics just revisit us. 25 years ago, at this time of year, one or two of those in the news and programme departments, who thought slightly to the side of centre, were allowed, actually encouraged, to let things that had just crossed their minds in idle moments be broadcast. The title of the next few minutes which was first put out over 25 years ago, might well live comfortably under the title What Goes Around, Comes Around. Before we start, I feel I must draw to members' attention an observation. It has been noted that, with an election due at the end of the year, Some members have been taking advantage of every opportunity to gain coverage. 
either in the newspapers or on the radio. This must stop. I give notice I will not tolerate any attempt to take advantage. Now, the first item on the agenda, the angels dancing on the head of a pin brackets amendment bill. Does any member wish to speak? Me! 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 The member on my right. Oh, give me a home where the plastic bag's blown and the can and the crisp packet lay where seldom is seen a hedgerow that's clean and the streams are all cloudy and gray. Blown, blown home again To the lamppost where the little doggies spray On the shoreline what's seen Is frankly obscene And guess what I trod in today Out Now, the new bestseller by Piers Bleakley Ramsey and Marina, a love that refused to die he knew that she was forbidden, but he wanted her. She was strong-willed and tempestuous, with 300 berths and washing and toilet facilities. He was the northern town that wouldn't give up. Marina! Marina! Oh, Ramsay. Oh, Marina. Will you shut up down there? But there were others who wanted her. You're harboring lustful thoughts towards my Marina, Douglas. Well, what of it, Ramsay? I'm warning you, she's mine. Was yours? <laughs> and who was the mysterious stranger? Listen, Douglas, my name's Albert, and if you want Marina, you come and see me, lad. But the world seemed united against them. Her father, the minister. Well, you can't have Marina, young man. I know you, you're only after my money. It's not true. Well, just a few others. 100,000 would be very nice. Will they ever be together? Find out by reading the new bestseller, Marina and Ramsey, from Flying Pigs Books. What's Kelly's eyesore today, Peter? Well, David, I'm looking at what was once a very large grand hotel with uh, lots of wooden staircases and, and windows and render, but has now been completely done away with and transformed into what is a very fine example of late Elizabethan derelict site. As the listeners will be aware, David, the art of the derelict site was gradually developed through the late 70s and into the 80s in the Isle of Man, but it was only when the chance of using this big seafront site came along they were able to give it full expression. Early Manx derelict sites, like, like the Fort Anne, were very good efforts, but they let some grass grow and a few trees remained, and it didn't really go as far as, as it should have. But here, on the Villiers site, we have a marvellous example of total destruction. A few piles of bricks have been left as carefully planned intervals to heighten that feeling of wasteland, and some rubbish, a few old bits of newspaper lie around. But what does distress me, David, is this large hoarding around it. It's, it's hiding this marvellous expanse of decay and, and barrenness from the people walking by, and they can only get a, a sense of its grandeur by peering through holes in the hoarding. But I'm, I'm glad to say a preservation order has been slapped on this site by the corporation uh, who have been striving to make sure this remains a derelict site well into the future. And I can only applaud them for their efforts. 
the council themselves are unfortunately about to lose that wonderful recent example of derelict site right next to the town hall, and uh, that's not going to be with us very much longer. And the wonderful thing is, David, that these derelict sites cost so little to maintain once they've been produced. Indeed, they can be produced at a knockdown price. Well, there we have it, David. I might quote Caesar. I came, I saw, I conquered. A suitable epitaph, perhaps, for this awful sight. Ah, I'll say this once, and I'll say this once. I've got as handsome a crew as ever sweated on a yardarm, or heaved an anchor over the side, or danced an on pipe on the foredeck, or spit in the teeth of a north hastily. <laughs> Every man jack of them loves me as a father, but I'd split any one of them what breathes a word of complaint, even if their victuals is riddled with weevils, and their bunks is harder than a mermaid's heart. Now what's it to be, matey? Is it yes or is it no? <clears throat> well, I'm afraid we're looking for a rather different class of ship for the Manx register. Uh, could you send the next applicant in? Welcome to this three-hour budget special. In a moment, the Treasury Minister will be on his feet with this year's budget. After we've heard what he has to say, we'll be going over to our experts in the studio to analyse what his measures will mean to you and I. Ah, the minister is on his feet, so let's go over to the chamber. Mr. President, members, after much consultation with my department and with other departments of government, we have decided not to change anything. Ah, well, the minister has resumed his seat somewhat sooner than we expected, that speech was a little shorter than any of his previous budget speeches. In 93, he spoke for some 52 minutes. In 94, it was 57 minutes. His speech there was 12 seconds. Um, <clears throat> any thoughts? Uh, anyone? Brilliant! Short and to the point. Cutting through the verbiage and getting right to the point. The minister, exhibiting his brilliant grasp of the Keynesian minimalistic theories... Anyone else? <clears throat> yes. Well, we've, um... We've, uh, just two hours and 57 minutes left to use up to the end of this budget special. <clears throat> um, anyone going anywhere nice for holidays?
The Sheep Under the Snow, performed by Bernard Osborne, Peter Lum and Charles Gard on harp. Appropriate, perhaps, at this time of year. And I thought it apt to start with a sheep's tail, as this is when sheep can find themselves under the snow, sometimes never to emerge alive anyway. When snow had fallen some years ago, I walked from Upper Foxdale up to the Round Table Road, sometimes sinking deep into it. But as I approached the road, I was quite a bit startled when something fairly large wriggled under my feet. A sheep emerged from the drift and hurdled off through the snow. I like to think I saved it from a chilly death. It didn't stop to thank me. Sheep are, of course, part of the scenery on the island and have been for centuries. In the past, their wool was valued perhaps a great deal more than now with the advent of synthetic materials. In 1911, A.L.J. Gossett, in his Shepherds of Britain, Scenes from Shepherd Life, wrote, The native stock is small and hardy and would endure the roughest weather with little loss, and the meat tasted fine. This is still the mountain breed. There is also a peculiar breed called Lockton, of the colour of Spanish snuff, and they are not so hardy and more difficult to fatten. The natives like the cloth and stockings made of the wool. He then goes on to talk about sheepdogs, and he says, Shepherd Cayley of Ramsey tells us that the old Manx sheepdog was a Holden, not a driving dog. It kept to heel, and when a particular sheep was wanted, the shepherd would point to it and say in Manx, There, spring, go, and hold that rough fella. And the dog would seize the sheep behind the neck, throw it down, and hold it with its paws, never hurting it. These dogs are now extinct in the island, they didn't work the sheep as the collie does. They're described as smooth-haired of various colours, very big and strong. Dr Tellett of Ramsey writes, I recollect having seen one of these dogs about 60 years ago, which belonged to an old man who lived near Ramsey. It was smooth-haired, and my impression is that it was about the size of a Scotch deerhound, coloured black, grey and tan, the tan so innately mixed with the grey in parts as to produce a rust colour. I see the colour on the dogs we now have, a number of which are descendants of crosses between the dog in question and the Scotch collie. The collie is said to have been brought to the island by Scotch shepherds, who came over to take charge of the larger sheep farms. The first I saw on the island I remember distinctly. It was black and white, with very silky hair. A Mr Metcalfe had the credit of introducing the old English sheepdog also at this date. The collies were not generally used until about 1860. I've heard my father say that the Manx dog was only a Holden dog. A few days ago, I was talking to an old shepherd who described the way it threw a sheep down. Miss Safar Morrison of Peel writes, of course, well known. Some years ago, a Manx shepherd told me some wonderful tales of an old sheep dog. This shepherd used to go to the mountains and his father to look after the sheep and his father had only to point his finger at one sheep in the flock and say, Grandmachin, seize that for me. And the dog at once put his paws on the sheep, pointed out to him in the midst of the flock, and held it until the old man came up. Another person remembers sheepdogs not in the least like the sheepdogs of today. They were larger, smooth-haired, and were known as holders, because they were good to hold on.
These dogs upset the sheep on their backs and kept them down until the shepherd came to them. The old shepherd didn't think that they were native sheep dogs, but that they had special training to make them holers. Does anyone use sheep dogs with those skills these days, anywhere? Once fishing and farming were what kept the island going. Then, and in a great part thanks to the greatest governor we ever had, Henry Locke, the infrastructure in the harbour, the Locke Promenade, Victoria Street were all pulled down, old ramshackled buildings in lanes were demolished, those boarding houses in their great sweep around the bay were built, all to attract the new breed of visitor who Governor Locke knew were going to the Lake District and whom he thought could be attracted to the island. Well, bingo. But in the late 50s, after years of prosperity through tourism, people started wanting to have guaranteed sunshine on their holes and opted for cheap flights to Spain rather than the uncertain weather offered during a fortnight in Man. In 1959, a new governor arrived, Ronald Garvey. Now, here was someone unusual for the island, a man of action who worked out the problem but then came up with an answer, as he told David Collister on a later trip over here. Now, in those days, the governor wielded a good deal more political power than today. When I arrived in the island, the island's finances weren't in very good shape. They'd had a, a, a fund called the Accumulated Fund, which was a, a, a sort of um, a background to the general revenue which was collected each year. And if the revenue didn't meet expenditure, well, then, of course, the accumulated fund was drawn on. But the time I arrived, the accumulated fund was, well, there was very little of it left. Mm. And um, I think also the, the um, tourist industry was beginning to um, show signs of cracking here and there. And so I felt that one of, one of my tasks was, was to build up the finances of the island, build up the tourist industry insofar as it was possible to do so. But then, of course, I also started the new residence um, policy, be believing that people who stayed the whole year round would be liable to spend more money than people just coming over for a fortnight or so. That, yeah. that, of course, worked wonderfully well. That really got underway, more or less, at the time you were leaving the island. We went into a, a, a wonderful period then. You also, yeah. uh, it was during uh, your time here that surtax was abolished, if I remember right. Well, indeed it was. Was that yeah. your own idea? Well, I couldn't say that. Uh, I certainly had some... some I, I was very keen about it, and it's very difficult because memory is a fleeting thing. Um, the moment it was suggested to me, and it might have been suggested to me by um, um, John Bolton, who, of course, before he died, became, I'm glad to say, Sir John Bolton, and um, he didn't feel able himself to propose, to make the proposition in Tinwald, uh, for reasons which I wouldn't explain. Uh, and so that silver-tongued... Um, um, what's his name? Clifford Irving. Clifford Irving, yes. Was, was given the job in Tinwald to um, propose this proposition, and, and it went through. And I was telling him the other day, because I met him, how amused I was, anyhow, because um, the following day, uh, well, the following day after the announcement had been made that the Isle of Man had decided to abolish the tax, a Conservative MP in the House of Commons got up and 
uh, asked a question, a verbal question of, of the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who I think then was Sir John Anderson, and he said, um, no doubt um, the Chancellor had heard that the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the Isle of Man had uh, taken a very proper course about surtax and had decided that it should be abolished. Would the Right Honourable Chancellor follow this august example? And um, without a pause, the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the House of Commons said, No, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Ronald Garvey, who brought prosperity to the island through his pragmatic decisions on the economy, Economically, the island had done well in the First World War, with Manx farmers paid to provide food for the thousands of internees. In the Second World War, despite being a long way from occupied Europe, the island was still on warning against possible attacks by parachutists. Arthur Underhill's A Policeman's Lot describes some of the duties carried out by Manx policemen, particularly in the early stages of the war, when it was feared that the enemy might be arriving from the skies. They also had to guard the harbour installations. There were two shifts, 4pm to midnight and midnight to 8am. I need hardly say that on the midnight to 8am shift on a cold, wet night in the winter, guarding the petrol storage tanks on the battery pier, with spray coming over the pier from the massive waves, standing out in the open with no shelter, no one to visit you on your shift, and with only your flask and sandwiches for company was far from pleasant. After a while, it was decided to employ guards, swear them in as special constables, and they took over from the police constables who were employed on other duties. One of the senior constables on our section, who was a practical joker, was on duty at the gas works from midnight to 8am. It was a very calm, still night, and about 2am he walked up Gasworks Hill to a disused quarry situated at the top of the many steps from the swing bridge to the head road. There he found an empty metal tar barrel, which he carried to the top of the steps and tipped over the edge. It takes little imagination to visualise what happened. On the way down the many steps, it bounced higher and higher with increasing noise and finally hit the south quay and bounced into the harbour. The constable, who was on duty at the petrol installation at the swing bridge, almost collapsed with fright. An Isle of Man steam packet boat was berthed just opposite and immediately became alive with torches flashing hither and thither. I was at Athol Street at the time and thought we were being bombed. Another duty we performed at about the time of the Dunkirk evacuation was to keep aerial observation during the night as it was considered a strong possibility that German paratroops would land on the island, take it over and provide a base for attacking the other British Isles. About six officers, each armed with a revolver and three rounds of ammunition, would depart from Douglas Police Station at 10pm in diverging directions and just walk out into the country for about four hours and then walk back again as far as possible, uh, keeping a telephone, private or public, in view so that they could report any landings. I often used to wonder whether, in the event of my being confronted in Baldwin Valley by a regiment of armed German paratroopers, who exactly the three rounds of ammunition were for. I thought I would finish this short melange with seasonal music which will be familiar, which has particular significance. That was written by a Ukrainian composer. Uh, Let's hope we all have cause to enjoy what the new year brings. (laughs) 
Shadrach, Shadrach, Shadrivochka, here flew the swallow from afar, started to sing, lightning loud, asking the master to command, come here, O God, master, it's time, in the ship fold, wonders to find, your lovely sheep have given birth to little lambs of great worth, all of your words are very fine, coin you will Shadrick, 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 Shadr